So this morning I'm going to be reading from a passage and actually kind of focusing on a bit that Andrew touched on last week, which is actually in Hebrews 10 verse 5 to 7. So I'm just going to read it and we'll jump straight in. Therefore, as he was coming into the world, he said, You did not desire sacrifice and offering, but you prepared a body for me. You did not delight in whole burnt offerings and sin offerings. Then I said, See, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. After he says above, You did not desire or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, See, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. By this will, we will be sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. And I think I've been so struck this last weekend a bit on just the magnitude of of those statements. And and I think we get so used to as being Christians, so comfortable in the, the term being saved. And I think we take for granted the magnitude of what Christ had actually accomplished. And I think there's moments where we actually have to stop and realize that we need to go back. And we are so excited for the future and so excited for more. And there's this hunger in the church at the moment for for more of God and to see more breakthrough and to see more lives changed. That we sometimes get dissatisfied and upset with where we're currently at. And I feel like God reminded me, like, just go back. And I opened up my journals this week from a couple of years ago. And I just looked at the way that I wrote for that first week after being saved and that deep joy and that just revelation and, and awe and wonder for what I'd just seen and experienced and, and the freedom that I felt like I had finally had for the first time in my life. And um, I felt God said, like, we have to go back to those moments. We have to remind ourselves of the joy that we have. And that this is where it all starts. Those moments, that moment that you realize that it is not up to you anymore. The moment that you realize that Jesus is the king and he saves. It's been an amazing thing to to look back and realize as you get saved and the moment you get saved, there's always this revelation of just how sinful you are, just how much you really needed a savior. A moment of realizing that nothing could have actually ever satisfied or fixed or solved or overcome that pain and that depth and that sin that you had except Jesus. And that his wrath was completely satisfied in the blood of Jesus. That God, at the end of the day, we end up getting to this point where we start to evaluate sin. And um, it becomes a thing where we say, like, this sin is worse than that sin, but all sin leads to death. And that's why Jesus had to come. And it's reminded to daily remind ourselves of those moments in small things to big things that his wrath is satisfied in Jesus. And I have been struck this week with the revelation that we are very quick as Christians to make assumptions on what is sinful and what is not and who deserves um, almost justice and anger and God's wrath and who doesn't. And on an extreme example, I've been thinking about this Israel and Palestine conflict that is still running through the news and is such a prevalent conversation and realize that even Jesus died for those people who are at war, who are fighting, who are killing innocents. There is no discrepancy between us and them. There is no difference. Sin is sin and he came and died so that every person would have the opportunity to walk into the presence of God and have a relationship with him because if it was up to our own works, as was said, Nothing would actually satisfy God's wrath completely. 
but Jesus did. So I want to touch on on how that works in our lives and how does that impact the the stepping stone off of kind of from that space where do we go? And I think when we get saved, there's this incredible moment where there's a deep dive into the almost the matters of the heart that God doesn't just save, but He continually saves and works in us and is continually shaping us to be more like Jesus, continually shaping us to to look like him, to walk like him, to talk like him, to carry ourselves like him. So I want to quickly jump through a little bit further on in Hebrews 10 and verse 16 where it says, This is a covenant I will make with them. After those days, the Lord says, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds and I will never again remember their sins and their lawless acts. And that verse is so weighty and also so freeing because that inscribing on us means it becomes part of us. It it becomes our character. It becomes our ways. We we start to to walk and talk and think in those ways that Jesus operated in God's holy ways. And I think the desire as Christians should so truly be to pursue those avenues, to pursue those ways, to to make space, to practice those ways, to have a deep hunger and a deep cry and a longing for more of that. Nothing else but purely more of his character in us that we would replicate Jesus. It's a picture of kind of looking in the mirror in the morning and saying, Jesus, I want to look more like you today. And I know I have things that I'm not yet perfect on, but I truly want to look like you. And that's where it can get quite difficult because when Jesus comes in and he saves, there's this like almost elation that comes and then there's a deep working that takes place if god's going to be inscribing these laws on our hearts and writing them on our minds there's so much work that has to be done and it gets so deep and i think that's where so many people struggles when god really starts working in us we tend to pull back because we've got to go back to all those things that need to be undone all those moments that we remembered that we weren't good enough and God has to slowly work them back. And this is moment of being justified by the blood of Jesus, but then being sanctified, which is the process of being made holy. What a privilege that we have to be in the process of being made holy. I don't think anyone can say, I don't want to be like God, more like his character, more like his heart. But it can hurt and it can be difficult. And I want to say to you, Trinity Central, would you let God work in your heart? Would you let him go deep and sometimes unroot all those things that were still holding us because we are now free and he has to work and he has to kind of like clear out the room and start afresh. And it's actually freeing. It's just to push through. It's just to keep going. As I said last in my last preach, that just pushing through the crowd and keeping your eyes on Jesus and, and realizing that he is for you and that he loves you and that he truly, truly wants the best for you. I want to quickly read out a piece of scripture in Galatians 5, um, where it says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And I think we forget that Jesus is completely and utterly holy, that he is complete man and complete God. And I don't know if I would give up my seat to come down to save. I don't know if I would even be 
close to knowing the pain that I would go through to save so many because I don't have the privilege of being him. But I do have the privilege of knowing him. And I do have the privilege of being saved. And I think from that place, that internal work starts to come outward. And we start to bear fruit as a community. And we start to bear fruit as a husband. And bear fruit as a wife. And as a brother. And as a sister. And even as a colleague. And I want to encourage you guys to continue to trust God that he can bear fruit with you. I think it can get quite heavy, but I want to say to you, Trinity Central, you are doing so well. Keep going. Keep letting God work in you. You are truly, truly doing well. This is not a heavy statement. This is not a heavy morning. I think there's a weightiness that we need to grasp. And I have to say that because there's a moment where we have to get to a realization that there is actually a part for us to play. That there is a part that we have to take some responsibility for. And that is just daily pursuing God. Pursuing His ways. And it also can be difficult because there's a moment where we have to stop and think. There's some things that need to change. And there's so much. There's so much unlearning and unwinding and undoing. And God is gentle enough. But He also knows that if we're going to walk into the fullness of Amy being Amy. Or Kamal being Kamal. If you think there's stuff you don't need to work on. You're kidding yourself. And it can sound a bit harsh, but I almost feel like this father that's trying to like, teach us that like, this is good for you. Just listen to me. I'm for you. I love you. You don't have to understand it, but would you trust me? And in James 2 verse 26 it says, For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. And God made us to do good works. The difference is, sometimes we hear that scripture and I used to be like, but I, so I have to do something. And you're like, yeah, yeah, you do, but where does it come from? What is fueling those works? Is it out of your own or is it out of the Holy Spirit that empowers you, fills you, gives you the capacity to go? Or are you doing out of place of, if I don't, God won't work. I'm like, no, 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 you do not dictate God's movements for working. Because he's constantly working. He's in the business of changing lives. He's constantly on the go. It's whether we submit to him being busy with us and then using us with people and this constant beautiful like swirling of people in community and where we get to see people move and be shaped. And then it's our turn. And then it's someone else's turn. And then we get to play a part in someone else's being shaped. But ultimately God is always on the move. Those matters of the heart that are governed by the Holy Spirit rely so deeply on us knowing him. So deeply on us knowing his ways, knowing his character. It's like if I ask Kamal to do something that I trust him to do, it's because I trust him to do it. If I didn't trust him, I wouldn't ask him. So if I said, listen, man, there's this guy. He really needs someone good in his life. Would you reach out? That is not an unlikely statement that I would make, just not my problem. It's like, no, no, no. I trust who he is. I trust what God has done in him. And I feel like God is almost giving us that encouragement today of that assurance and what He's busy with with you, Trinity Central, is like He trusts you. So let Him work. Let Him use you. Be open to being used. But also be open to those moments of correction. Don't fight Him. It's like the, I was watching this uh, story of these storm chasers the other day. And they're basically saying how like, they follow the storm and they got in the eye and they're like following, following, following. And then they get caught outside of the eye and they, try, they don't know which direction they're going, but they're wrapped up in the storm, 
for like an extreme amount of time. I think they said almost 20-something minutes. But the difference is they don't know where they're going. And they don't know whether they're heading out of the storm or they're heading back into the R or what's happening. And I think sometimes we get caught in the storm and we don't, we don't realize the direction God took us and we don't keep going that way. We kind of turn. And then we get lost and the storm just takes us and takes us and moves us and moves us. And there's this point where actually, as Christians, when the storm hits and the trials come, plant your feet and just take another step. Because the quickest way out is we'll be through. So when God brings trials, it's not there to throw you and we can get lost in an extended period of time. And obviously God can use however long he wants to. But the only thing we can do is take a next step. That's all we can do. We have nothing else that we can offer. Take a sip of water quickly. So who should we be? How should we live? As a community? As individuals? I have to think from that place, the first thing I think is, man, I'm free. What does that freedom look like? How do I operate? How do I move? How do I parent? How do I go to work? How do I run a business? <laughs> How do I deal with people? How do I love? But there's also a confidence that should come with us. And I think the problem is, I've run into a lot of people that are so certain of the assurance almost, but it comes off this arrogance and not this humility. Because the humility comes when you realize that if it wasn't for him, you would be completely lost with absolutely nothing. And I think it's learning to walk that line of the confidence that we have in us because of the work that's being done, because of the Holy Spirit being busy. We should be able to walk into rooms, into spaces, and bring freedom to people. And to bear fruit in every season. Joy. Not happiness. Joy. That deep, deep joy that will push through trials, push through difficult times, push through the unknowns of the next season. I think of Andrew Michelle going in a couple of weeks' time and you think, they're going, they don't know what's there yet. And there's this excitement and this like happiness, but there's this solidity to them when they speak in between the emotional times of being unsure and being happy and kind of being sad. But if it wasn't for the deep joy that the gospel brings, they would not be firmly rooted to still go. They would probably say, I'm not sure if we can do this. And because of the world is a mess, Trinity Central, we need that deep joy. How do we operate out of love if we don't have that deep joy that walks alongside it, that partners into spaces? Because we seem to attach for anything that brings happiness and these smiles, but those are all fleeting. And they will all fail. But the joy that the assurance of salvation brings will not. That, be, that being reconciled to God, which in the meaning in Greek means to be changed completely. You have all been changed completely, whether you know it or not, whether you can see it or not. Ask anyone that walks with you since you've been saved, they will tell you that you've changed. And it's not in a bad way. So be encouraged pretty central. God is working in you. And you are growing. And you are doing well. This is not a do you know you say this is like no 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 you are doing well keep going 
keep pushing in. Keep letting them work. I'd say the biggest fear I have in my life is almost not meeting the potential that I think God has for me. And that scares me the most. And I have to wrestle with that point of letting God bring out the fruit in my life or me bringing out the fruit in my life. But if I look at what he does and how he uses people and you go back to scripture and even people that you know, you think like, man, there must be more for me. He's got to have more in store. Live with an expectation. Live with an excitement. But prioritize. What God's busy with, be busy with. If he's not asked you to be busy with something, maybe put it aside. Because again, we all latch on to everything else that we can find to fill us, to bring us into that space. And then we all move out of community or we'll move out of healthy spaces or we'll move out of places. And then we suddenly wonder like, what's going on? And it's like God works with this beautiful picture of a family where you're free to walk in and out, but there's a base that you come back to where we can remind you of moments like this on today where it's like your assurance of salvation, Trinity Central. Keep going. You're doing well. There is so much more that is yet to be unlocked. Don't unlock it yourself. God will not put something in your life or place something on your shoulders that you've not got the strength to carry yet because ultimately it will crush you. So let him slowly unlock and unlock and unlock and then one day you're going to go, something's changed. And you're going to think, man, it's worth it. Man, it's worth it. So ultimately, there's that mirror and I've got to think in the morning, I have to look and say, Jesus, I need to look more like you today. And over five years, you might see some. Over 10 years, you'll see more. Over 50 years, it's when all the gray comes out, guys. Yeah. And you start to realize, like, man, I look like my Savior. What a beautiful picture. So we should be proclaiming the gospel, no? We should look at this and say, okay, but this is not for me. This is not Jesus and Tristan thing. We put it in a box and we keep it safe. And we're like, my precious. It's like, no, no, no. Do you know what I have? Can I show you the possibilities of what Jesus brings to your life? Can I introduce you to a savior? Can I invite you into my community where you might just see some of them? I think of Warren's constantly when I thought about the scripture. It's like his desire to just go and meet people and tell them about Jesus. And I'm like, we should be going. We should be doing that. Don't be weird. Don't be weird. <laughs> but if you love him and you love people, it will naturally work itself out. You will naturally find yourself in conversations. You will naturally engage with those people that don't look like you. Because church should not be a picture of one people that look exactly the same, that have the same background, the same history, the same financial status, the same whatever. Like, no, 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 no. That is not what the church as a body should look like. And the beautiful thing about Trinity Central is you've got this mixture of people from so many different spaces. And it's beautiful to see because it's the same God working in different people. And it's the only thing that unites us is Him. Don't waste the sacrifice that Jesus made for you. He has opened up things that you can't understand that he wants you to step into, but we get stuck. And I've got to think like, he bore all of that for me. Surely 
my heart posture should be like, God, what do you want? Where do you want me? Send me. I'll go. I'll go. I have, I have no other response. What else can I say? Thank you so much. I really like my job. <laughs> yeah, I'm grateful. I'm like, no, 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 no. What do you want? It says in Hebrew, it says, I've come to do your will, O God. That should be the cry of our hearts. God, I want to do your will. In Trinity Central, in work, in extracurricular activities. It's not like this constant scouting session for like Jesus. It's like Jesus is there, but you can't proclaim what you don't know. That's the flip side of the coin, right? Where we, we talk so much about it, but when the time comes, do we truly know Him? Do we hear Him? Have we learned that yet? And I think that's the beautiful thing is there's no pressure. You've got so much time and God is not in a rush. But daily I've got to say, God, if I, if I learn to hear you better from a place of like, and even if it doesn't happen today, I'll try again tomorrow. And again, and again, and again. And one day something will change. Cool. The next day, and again, and again, and again. And if I can hear you and understand you and know your ways, then surely I walk more freely, more confidently, in more humility. You can't not, when you start to unload, unpack Scripture and look at the depth of His character and who He is and who He says we are and where we stand with Him and the plans that He has for us, but also the holy God that He is, you got to think like, His goal of saving people is not on me, but He would love to use me and He would love to include me. Trinity Central, you are invited today to be included into that story again. And whether you feel disqualified or you feel like you don't know where you're going, you are invited again. And tomorrow, and 2025, and 2080. I should be around. (laughs) Every day, I feel like there's this moment where God's just like, I'm here? Come. Let's do it together. And the next day. Whether you, 10 years have gone by and you haven't walked in those spaces and you know it, God's design is hard for you has never changed. Let Him work with you, Trinity Central, but be rest assured that He is yours and you are His and He will never let you go. Amen. Now pray first. Father God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your deep, unimaginable love for us. That you sent your one and only Son to die for us. That he who was, out, was without sin became sin, just so that we could know you. How deep is that love that you would sacrifice your Son, that we could be in a relationship with you again. Father God, I pray that you would unlock our hearts again unlock our eyes, that we would see you and know you and, <laughs> and want more of you, Lord God. But ultimately, Father God, you are in charge of your plans, not us. We just get to partner with you and thank you for that privilege that we get to partner with you day in and day out. Father God, I pray that you bring freedom to Trinity Central and to every church and every Christian around the world. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Amen.
These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. seems like quite a harsh verse but it's i think that the the letter is it's just reminding us of that first love reminding us of that salvation we experienced at the beginning reminding us of that just that embrace that we had of just the wonder of salvation i think as we walk we we all tend to have our biases post-salvation that we we either learn to to put extra things on our, our backs some of us like get into bondage because it's like, okay, I have to do this and I have to do that and I have to do... And some of us just feel like, hey, I'm so free, I don't have to do anything. And we end up somewhat more and more slaves to our temptation. And our, it's like the typical older brother, younger brother from the prodigal son story. And what Tristan was highlighting was actually just our freedom. Either our freedom from our obligation to put more and more autos on our back or more and more freedom from the temptation of the things we end up slipping into. Because I think we set free, not just freedom from, but freedom for that confidence. The freedom for the purpose that God has us. I can't get over the, the stat that we heard when we were in Australia of in the Western world at the moment, a regular church attender is somebody that attends once every six weeks. That's who they regard as a regular church attender. Somebody who's like really believes this. Somebody that comes once every six weeks. That's the stat they're using to measure. And it's, I mean, it's one of the few stats we can use as just to, 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 re, like, to measure our commitment to church. Is how often do we attend? I don't think that's a good gauge on how true it is for you in your heart. But it's one of the few things we can look at and it's not a harsh thing it's actually just man what what's your first love who is your first love there's just an invitation today that it's not out of obligation not out of manipulation but i think jesus is inviting us back to actually man could you come to me would you come back to me because that assurance that wonder of our salvation is where we find the certainty to face the challenges that we have, the doubts that we have. That I, I, I felt like it all coming together. As this letter was written to the Ephesians church. We've just gone through Ephesians. And we're talking about the assurance of our salvation. Ephesians 6 talks about the helmet of salvation. Where it's actually when we understand the intimacy of our relationship and our covenant with God. 
we have certainty in our minds. We don't have to wonder. Then we can, play, we can have more and more confidence in the decisions we're making because God is leading us. And the verse that I've been meditating on for the last two, three months is that friendship with the Lord is for those who fear Him and He reveals His covenant to them. It's actually the friendship of the Lord is for those who are approaching God in a right manner. When we see God for who He is, it's God, the God who spoke the world into existence, who controls everything by the power of His words, by His, and He invites us into relationship, into friendship with Him. But our relationship with God is built upon the covenant that He made through Christ, through His death and resurrection. That it's not based on what we do, only when we truly understand that, and that becomes the bedrock of what our lives are built upon, do we learn to operate in that freedom and that confidence. And it's one thing to tick a box. It's like, yes, I believe that. That is correct. That is what I say I, when you asked on like a form. What religion are you? Ah, I'm Christian. Why? Because I believe in Jesus. It's like, yes, uh, 100%. But it's like the, even the demon, demons believe. But they don't really live in the fullness of it. So saying you, you believe the right things is not what leads us to living a life that's truly glorifying to God truly honoring to him just because we say we believe the right things doesn't mean we live in the fullness of what god has for us and i'm just asking god how how do i take those truths that we we believe even our head what we what we we understand to be true how do we meditate on it enough that it saturates our entire lives that it's like we, we almost you want to like just immerse ourselves in it so much so that it like it seeps into every one of our pores into every cell in our body that our instant reaction to situations is not guided by our anger or our frustration or our personality that it's actually our response is because of a fear of God because of our intimacy with him because of our understanding of our relationship with him that we learn to, to grow in our confidence. That it's like that, that's why we can face the uncertainty of our future of Australia. Is the more and more we focus on the character of God. He has been faithful. He has proven himself true throughout his word. And then he asks us to actually trust that. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes it's hard. It's like... God's, God said, go, like we, we stand up here and we say, hey, you, he's always come through for us. He always will come through for us. And then he says, move your entire family without any certainty of jobs or position or, or how we're going to provide or anything. And he actually says, just trust me. And I keep telling the story to people and it's like, man, God's done everything in the reverse order of how you would do it yourself. Like everybody else, it's like, okay, we, we get the visa, then you apply for jobs. Once we've got the job, the job's going to open up the doors. For us, it seems to be the opposite way around. It's like, hey, we're going. Can we get the visa? I don't know. Do we qualify? I don't know. Probably not. Like, and even when it's like, yeah, you kind of qualify, it's like, no, actually, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you what you need. Will you trust me? 
So that's what we're trying to do. And the invitation is for each and every one of you to do the same. And it's not going to look the same for each and every one of you. Some of it's going to be moving to Namibia and stepping out in faith. And certain of the things it's going to be like, hey man, that's exactly what I longed for. And I, but it's also it's going to be a sacrifice of giving up what's here. For other of you, it's following God and saying, I'm going to go to a different church. Well, come on. For those who don't know, because this is Kamo's last day with us at Trinity Central. All I can say is thank you. Thank you for how you served, how you loved, how you've defended what God is doing here. And at times even like, I don't know, wanted to go above and beyond defending us. Lord, I pray that you continue to lead and guide this man. I thank you for the, the courage that he has, the confidence that he has. I thank you for the, the man of God that you are raising up in Kamal. You've called him to be a leader and a servant in your kingdom, in this country. Ah. Pray that you just go before him. You'd open up doors of opportunity, that you'd open up just areas of provision. I pray that you would continue to just lead and guide each and every step. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he direct his steps. Show him the path that he needs to choose. His soul shall abide in well-being. His offspring shall inherit the land. I, I pray that you would bless him and keep him. He's a man who fears you and walks as closely as what he can to what you are leading him. I pray that you continue to lead and guide each and every step that he takes. Thank you for a man whose heart is after you, Lord. Amen. without the microphone because it feels less daunting. Yeah. Um, as Susan was preaching, I was reading a book this week that speaks about grace, but it specifically targets addiction, which I think is so overrated because I think, like, over, just hear what I'm saying there, because we all struggle with something. Addiction just has a social, like, thing on it, stigma, but it's actually a book on um, digital campaigns, so on screen addiction and on how there's other things that are so much almost worse than like addiction to drugs that just aren't addressed. And as he was preaching, I was just seeing like how Warren hands out the drinks are like the drinks. Listen to me. <laughs> how he hands out the communion after the service. Um, but in this book, it speaks about God giving you this red button called grace. And what it does is it resets your life. God gives it to you when you're saved and it stays with you your whole life but I think the awesome part of it is when you reset something it usually goes back to the, back to the beginning but God's giving you something that just takes away your sin but doesn't make you start in the beginning so this button is going with you and whenever you're sinning you're just kind of buzzing your way like forgive me, boop, 
quickly. Forgive me, dude. Like, that's how I see it. Like, we're all giving, we're all getting these buttons. But we're not going back to where we started. We're just going back to where we were and carrying forward. So we never go back to the beginning. We just push on through what God's, like, working in us. But there's always grace. And there's always this hope that you can get through anything. There's never going to be anything that God will not forgive you about like all. So just remember your button is there. Your grace button is with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, I've had the privilege of being involved with some of the recovery guys for a while and at times we had guys coming through recovery centers into our life group and so dealt with a lot of people that were in addiction recovery and like it made me realize that just the connection between like we look at say addicts um, are struggling with alcohol or drugs and we look at it a completely different way to any other sin but it's almost exactly the same. And it was just the most visible example of people actually being transformed and set free. And it was such a privilege being able to walk with guys that it's such a tangible example and representation of freedom. Oh Lord, thank you for your body. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for the freedom that it brings. And I don't know what each and every person's struggle is here today. What they feel like their, their addiction is, or their temptation is, or their struggles are. Might be to doubt. Might be to worry. Might be to anger. Lord, I pray that you would show each and every one of them that they can walk in freedom. Lord, I pray that as we take this communion, that we would remember you, just the sacrifice that you made, that it wouldn't be just the head knowledge, but it would actually seep into us, that as we feel the, just this biscuit in our mouth, but it, as we feel what's our reminder or our example of the bread, it would be a tangible expression of your body that was broken for us, that made a way that we can have an assurance of our salvation, we can walk into the Holy of Holies. As you take this juice, it would be a reminder of just the blood that was shed for our sins. You took our place. It's not just something that we say, but it is something that we build our life upon, our identities upon. You would help it to seep into every part of our life and change the way we approach every situation. In Jesus' name. Amen.